Well, all right, New Life Friday night. Great to see you. You, Listen, you're the best. You're my favorite. You're the best. Don't tell anyone else that. New Life Church, eight congregations, you're the best. Just, you know, just keep that between us. And that has everything to do with your pastor, Daniel Grothy, and the great team that they have here at New Life Friday. Let's give them a great big hand. I got to spend uh, the last couple days this week, uh, or a couple days this week with Daniel and some other friends. We're out at a little retreat center, something that we've done for a number of years together. So it's always, always good to be refreshed, to get away. And then just moments ago, about an hour ago, our boys were playing against each other on the soccer field at the tournament at the Air Force Academy. Uh, My boys' team was down 3-1, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, Daniel, I'll go preach tonight. You stay and uh, enjoy the victory. So here I am. Just kidding. We had this planned. Okay. Well, would you open... Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer with me before we open the scriptures? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're the God who speaks. And we come once again with expectation in our hearts. We're not here to listen to a human being. We're here asking your spirit to whisper the words of God to us. Take whatever is of mine that you want to use for that, to that end. And take your own word, the scriptures, and breathe them into our hearts, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. There's a saying that goes like this. It says, if you live every day like it's your last, one day you'll certainly be right. If you live every day like it's your last, one day you'll surely be right. Steve Jobs quoted that in a commencement address in 2005 to Stanford. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, The reason we're all holding iPads and iPhones, if you're an Android guy, you know, don't worry about it. You'll catch on. But in that commencement address, in that commencement address, don't start, don't start on that. In that commencement address, Steve Jobs told three stories, and he kind of had three movements in his speech, and it was the third and final movement where he mentioned that quote, and he mentioned it because it was known to the world at the time that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and so he started talking about how having this sort of illness that, like cancer gave him an awareness, a soberness about his life, and he said, look, when you know you're going to die, you can live like you have nothing to lose. The second story, the middle story that he told was about love and loss, and he talked about losing the company that he had started, Apple, and coming back to it later, and how that was such a good thing for him, and both the knowledge of his cancer diagnosis and the experience of losing his company had given him perspective, and in the opening story is where Jobs really set the tone for the whole speech. In the opening story, he began to name some key events in his life, and he called that section of his speech, Connecting the Dots, and he said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. It's true, isn't it? He said, you can't connect the dots in your life looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And he's telling this group of graduates at Stanford University in 2005, so you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. Now, Jobs went on to say, you trust the universe or the divine or whoever that might be. But it's sort of like casting the most important thing out into the wind and saying, boy, I sure hope somebody's going to make sense of that. 
I sure hope somebody can make this meaningful because I'm just throwing out dots and I hope someone can make art out of it. But the point that holds for us in the beginning tonight is that you can't connect the dots looking forward. You only look back and see. And so we're wrestling with this question tonight, how do I finish well? And we've been in this series in Proverbs, Proverbs that's walked us through wisdom literature, Proverbs that has taught us about how we should think about our money and how we should think about friendships and how we should think about generosity and, and parenting and all of these different things about life, the flourishing, fully, truly human life that God made us to have. And now we come to the end of the series with this question, how do we finish well? And if we start maybe with a preliminary question, what does finishing well actually look like? What does finishing well actually look like? We get a glimpse of it here and there in the Proverbs. Proverbs 20 verse 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair is the splendor of the old. I don't know, but that doesn't sound like a great trade-off. You know, like when you're young, you got strength, but when you're old, you know, it's like you got gray hair. I mean, that's like saying, I'm short, but I'm slow. Like, I, I, I'm not sure I get it. But in the scriptures, gray hair means you've learned something. In the scriptures, gray hair is a picture of wisdom that you've earned. You've been through some stuff. This ain't your first rodeo. You know how to recognize traps. You know how to discern between life and death. Gray hair means you've been through some stuff and you've learned a thing or two. That's what it means. And then Proverbs 22, 6, this is appropriate tonight because we blessed and dedicated children, but it says start children off on the way that they should go. And then it says, and often that, that part is used for parenting stuff, but look at the second half of it. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs has in mind a good finish even as it talks to us about children. Proverbs has in mind the end of the story even when you're at the beginning of one. All of us blessing these children tonight, and certainly the parents and grandparents are on the, on the stage, our wish, our hope, our prayer, our desire for these little ones is that they would live a long life following Jesus Knowing his love almost every night when I pray over my kids at night, not so much the teenagers as they've gotten older, but the younger too. I say, Lord, help them to sleep well tonight, but more than that, help them to know your love and trust your love and show your love. That's what I want. That's what we want. Even when we look at the beginning of life, we can see the end of it. And Proverbs says the goal is to not have any detours or departures or shipwrecks. What we want is a life that reaches its good end, walking in the way of Jesus. Finishing well means living wisely over the long haul. If Proverbs were to give it, give it to us in a sentence, it might say it like that. Finishing well means living wisely over the long haul. Not a moment of wisdom, not a second of wisdom, and then decades of foolishness, but rather a long life of wisdom not departing from the way, staying true to it, living wisely over the long haul. 21 years ago when I moved here, I came as an apprentice to the worship pastor at the time, Ross Parsley. 
Some of you in the room will remember that name. You'll know that era. Back when there was teal carpet on this stage and no beautiful lit cross on the stage. And Ross thought it was a good idea that since I was coming in as like a worship apprentice that I should join these other interns as they were about to hike Pike's Peak. Now, what was slightly unfair about that is that they were interns in like student ministry world. I was an intern in the worship ministry. Like, we, you should not be asking worship ministry people to go hike Pike's Peak, okay? That's like, like, give me a song, I'll play it. You know, tell me something on the radio, I'll figure out the chord progression. But you're asking me. So I was like, okay, I just got here. It's a month or two into my time here. I thought I better be a good soldier. So they said, okay, we're meeting at, you know, oh, dark 30 or whatever it was. And we're going to start this thing. And so we go and we're doing this. And, and I, you know, at first I was like, okay, this doesn't seem that hard. And if you've ever hiked Pike Speak, and this is the one and only time I did. You know that at first you're like, well, this doesn't seem too bad. It's a broad trail and you're, you're climbing up. But after a while, you're like, my goodness, there's like less air or something. Yes, truly. <laughs> and I had to stop every 30 minutes. I'm like cramping up and eating saltines and drinking water. And I had like a backpack that really had nothing in it. It had a PB&J. That was it. But like I, all of a sudden that backpack felt so heavy, so heavy. And so the intern, like the second or third year intern that was kind enough to hang toward the back with me was like, hey, bro, I'll carry your backpack. And at first I was like, no, 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 I got this. And then about an hour later, two hours later, I was like, yeah, sure, you want to carry this thing? Yeah. <laughs> we get to the end of it and someone says, oh, the end of this hike is what? The seven golden steps. And I thought, great, seven steps. I can do this. Mm-mm. It is the cruelest joke. Listen, you should know. This is your public service announcement. The seven golden steps are not steps. They are switchbacks. And there's seven of them. So, so we get to the seven golden steps, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And we're finally making it. And I'm on the seventh one, and I can see I'm in the last group. There's like maybe five or six others with me. And everybody else is up on the top. And they're getting rowdy, and they're like, okay, yeah, woo! You know? And I can see them now. I'm maybe 20 yards away. And they start cheering, like, come on, Glenn Packy. I'm like, I heard my name. And the soundtrack of Chariots of Fire underneath it. <laughs> and so I start running. I'm like, I'm going to run. I'm going to just sprint these last 10 yards. I start running. And all of a sudden, it was like, Ugh! and I started tripping. And I totally fell, just biffed it, just wiped out. I appreciate the sympathy, but you can laugh. It's okay. Totally wiped out. And I got back up, picked up my dignity, and, you know, just finished the thing. That's not exactly what we want for our lives. You don't want to get toward the end and say, I've made it. I'm going to sprint. And then, oh, dear. That's not what we have in mind when we think about finishing well, living wisely over the long haul. So let's go to the scriptures again. What does finishing well look like? How do we actually do it? What do the scriptures say to us about finishing well? Now, Proverbs is one book in a collection of books in the Old Testament known as wisdom literature. And there's Proverbs and there's Ecclesiastes. And tonight we're going to look at both. We're going to look at a little bit from Proverbs. We're going to look a little bit at Ecclesiastes. And then we're going to peer forward through the scriptures and say, and what about Jesus? 
See, I had a, Daniel and I had the seminary professor that used to joke. He said, Proverbs says, do these things and life will work out this way. And Ecclesiastes says, uh, I did and it didn't. <laughs> and, and maybe we would add, and Jesus says, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I really did and it really didn't. And tonight we're going to look at Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the New Testament and find out what the wisdom of Scripture says to us about finishing well. Number one, the life of wisdom that we want over the long haul begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. The life of wisdom that we want to mark us from beginning to end is a life that begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9, verses 10 through 11, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, for through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. Listen to what he's saying. Through wisdom, years can be added to your life. Through wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is how it begins. Proverbs 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life. Here, instead of saying wisdom adds length, it says actually, straight up, the fear of the Lord is what will add length to your life. Because that's the real reason for life being a flourishing one. But the years of the wicked are cut short. You get to Ecclesiastes, and you know, I'm half joking about that. Yeah, we did all these things and it didn't work out. But you know that Ecclesiastes has all of these sayings about, yeah, well, that, you know, that's just the, the breath, and that's just vanity, or that just seems to be a passing thing. But then, the very end of Ecclesiastes, you get the conclusion from the teacher. And he says, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Students getting ready for school to start again say, Amen. And he says, now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Bottom line, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You see, the life of wisdom begins and ends with the fear of the Lord. Now we need to pause for a moment and say, well, okay, so, so what exactly is this again? What exactly is the fear of the Lord? Is it that we kind of live cowering and afraid? Can we just take a second, a couple minutes here, and just say, what exactly is the fear of the Lord? Listen, maybe my simple way of trying to sum it up is to say this, that the fear of the Lord is awe-inspired surrender to God. Awe-inspired surrender to God. And what is it about God that evokes that kind of awe-inspired surrender. In the Old Testament, it would have been several things. In fact, you see it early on. Number one, if you're, if you're taking those little sub-points here, you could say, look, early on in Genesis, you're introduced to the fact that there's only one God. In the ancient world, you needed a list of gods. If you needed rain, you went to that God. If you needed victory, you go to this God. If you needed children, you go to this God. Genesis says, none of this is actually only one. The sole God over all gods. <gasps> oh inspiring surrender and then we're told very early on that not only is he the only God the sole God but he's the sovereign God I mean it's one thing if there's only one God but he's not really that great You're like is this my only options here can I go to the God store get a refund maybe 
He's the sovereign God. And you see this because he's making the sun and the moon. And in the ancient civilizations, the sun was a God. And the moon was a God. And Genesis is like, I'm going to troll y'all pretty hard right here. And I'm going to say, there's a God who made your God. (laughs) He's the sole sovereign God. But then you don't get very far into the scriptures before you realize not only is he the sole God and the sovereign God, he's a good God. I grew up in a country that's, by definition, an Islamic country. Islam is the official religion of Malaysia. There's religious toleration. You can practice your other religions, but you can't try to convert a Muslim. Islam is a religion that is heavy on the sovereignty of God. In fact, its very word means submission. God of the Old Testament, you might say, is heavier on goodness and love than he is on anything else. That's why the writers in the New Testament could look back and say, actually, if we're going to choose one attribute, we're going to say, God is love at his very core. So when we say the fear of the Lord is awe-inspired surrender, it's not kneel, you human worthless being. It's I love you. You're good, because I made you, and I'm good. And we're like, oh, God, yes. It's awe-inspired surrender. When I think about the people who live like this from beginning to end, it's the people whose lives are marked by worship. The people whose lives are, their hearts are always soft. They're worshiping. When I was a kid, my parents got, both of them got pretty radically saved my dad would get the latest Hosanna worship cassette tape, and he joined up for this subscription club. Some of you are like, what's a cassette? Ask your grandparents. <laughs> and they would play these Hosanna cassette tapes, and every Saturday morning, it would blast super loud, and like, I'm trying to sleep in, you know? And my dad's like singing over it in tongues, which is like, I can't even tell what this song is supposed to be right now. What's amazing to me is I think back about that 30-some years ago. My parents are, are, they are better worshipers today than they were then. They are more in love with Jesus today than they were then. I watch them in church sometimes, and I'm like, I don't get it. They used to be pastors for almost 20 years. They're, they're coming to New Life downtown. They're not on the stage. You never, you know, but they're everywhere praying for people. And, and during worship, they're like, oh. I look at them and I think, God, if that's what getting older in God looks like, that's what I want. That's the life of wisdom that's marked by the fear of the Lord from beginning to end. It's the life of a worshiper. <laughs> this summer they went away, someone gave them a place, they went away up to the mountains for a few days and they never do that. And I was like, that's awesome, you guys went up to, the- what did you do? And they're like, I mean, we, you know, we went for walks and we had some great good food. And I was like, but and what else? And they're like, Honestly, mostly we just prayed. I was like, what? Like we just, we prayed. We like praying. We prayed for you. We prayed for Holly. We prayed for the kids. We prayed, yeah. I'm like, that is amazing to me. That's that awe-inspired surrender that marks the life of wisdom. Secondly, the life of wisdom looks like the cross. And this you have to get to the New Testament to see. That the life of wisdom actually looks like the cross. Maybe humanity lost sight of what God was like and what the life he was calling them to be looked like. 
But when Jesus arrives, now there's no more chance for misunderstanding this. And Paul spells it out. Corinthians is this letter that Paul's writing to a church that arguably is getting different definitions of success all around him. Corinth was a city that had past athletic glory and past commercial economic glory, and they were trying to rebuild, and they were constantly saying, remember when it was great. And they pointed to external successes and victories and wins. And so the church in Corinth might have been tempted to say, okay, well, maybe in Jesus we can win like that. And Paul gets this letter started off, and he's like, listen, guys, before I can tell you about life in Christ, I need to tell you, I'm not going to promise you a life of prosperity and riches and victories. I'm going to tell you that the message I have for you is the cross. And he says to the Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed. Your neighbors are not going to understand this, he says, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? What's with all the best of Greek philosophy? What's with all the best that Rome could offer? He says, look, in God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Wow. In other words, if you're looking to know God, you got to be careful you're not following the wrong clues. And you're like, well, surely it looks like a Roman soldier. Surely it looks like an an amazing athlete in the games. Surely it looks like someone who's who's like, man, they just got it all together. This is a picture-perfect family. He's like, ah, you're following the wrong breadcrumbs. God's not going to be known through what the world calls wisdom. He says, instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. (laughs) What'd you do last Friday night? Well, you know, we went to church. So what do they do at church? I mean, you know, like we sing and stuff, like like karaoke. (laughs) And then someone does a talk, like it's like a TED talk. Not usually that good. (laughs) Except for here, of course, because every year, except for here. The foolishness of preaching, verse 22, Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to the Jews, a crucified Messiah, excuse me, who's scared of that? And foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, here it is, is God's power and God's wisdom. And this is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The challenge for us is if we want to live this life of wisdom and we do want to finish well, the question before us is, well, what will you do with the cross? And it's so easy as Christians to be like, well, like, I'm super happy that Jesus went to the cross. Like, like that's all good, right? We we can sing songs over the wonderful cross. Let's talk about Jesus dying, right? Like, like that's the gospel. Yes. And Jesus says, come follow me and take up your cross. What if it's like, no, but Jesus, I want to follow you because of your cross. And he's like, no, that's great. I love that. And bring yours too. Oh, Jesus, I don't want that. I like you as the cross guy. I'm not really a cross guy. Like, I don't do crosses. I do victory. 
I win. I wake up every morning and I win. That's what I do. Yeah, well, Jesus is inviting you to lose. Like, I don't want to do that. The ethicist, uh, theologian, Stanley Hauerwas said it this way. He says, discipleship is quite simply extended training in becoming dispossessed. (laughs) Oh, man, I hate this quote. (laughs) To become followers of Jesus means that we must, like him, be dispossessed of all that we think gives us power over our own lives and the lives of others. You're like, man, am I in the wrong building? Because I came here to learn some Jesus tricks to make my life work out. I came here to figure out some Bible dust I can sprinkle over my business so that, whoa, I got more power. Like, yeah, but, but, the, but the cross, you see, is not that. It's about being dispossessed. It's about everything you have being taken away from you. And I think about people who live in such a way as to give away their lives. Think about the way the cross invites us to a kind of story arc of a downward descent the older we get. The Christian life is this life of learning to be self-emptying. The longer we walk with Jesus, we should look more like Jesus, which means more of getting small, more of getting less. I was sitting with a husband who's caring for his wife who has got a, struggles with a terrible illness and many, many days she can't get out of bed and on good days she's not able to keep stuff running with their kids and he's trying to work, he's trying to take care of the home, he's trying to do all this stuff and one day he he called and he said, let's get together and we get together periodically and we're chatting and and he's telling me all this stuff and at one point we get on this long tangent and we're talking about grilling and we're talking about this, that. And I'm thinking, did you set up an appointment to talk to me about grilling meat? I mean, I like that subject. But... And then I realize I think he's just happy for someone to have a normal conversation with him. So we're talking, we're chatting. And then he comes back, he keeps coming back to the subject at hand and he's just like, I'm tired. I don't know. I'm doing a terrible job. And I said to him, I said, you know, actually it sounds to me like you're living a cross-shaped life. And he looked up and he said, really, you think so? I said, everything I'm hearing from you sounds like you're living a cross-shaped life. And he starts crying, he's like, I'm not doing it very well. And I said, yeah, but even Jesus stumbled carrying the cross. This isn't supposed to be easy. But that's what living a cross-shaped life looks like. I was talking to some parents who have a, a, a child that uh, is not a child anymore, an adult really, but their child, and, and they're struggling because they're not sure how to have this influence in their son's life, and, and they're struggling with it. And I'm saying, well, how do you think this is supposed to work? And they're like, well, we just think that we, you know, he needs to invite, invite us to really speak into his life, and... And I said, look, I don't have a lot of experience other than that I've talked to a lot of people who are in your season of life. And so forgive me if this is too bold, but I said, what I think I'm learning as I listen to other parents who are in your stage of life is that 
you actually lose less and less influence in your child's life the older they get. And they're like, yeah, well, we don't like that. And I said, but I I think what's even more difficult is as a parent, your voice is always heard through a megaphone. You might think you're whispering, but to your child, you're still shouting because that's the role. You loom large in their story. And they're like, what are you saying? I was like, "I, I don't know. Again, I'm not here to give you. But I said, but maybe your role is to become small with them. And they're like, oh. I said, I know, I know. But you, I said, remember in Exodus, God thunders from Sinai. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, but, but when God actually comes, he cries like a baby. And maybe the way of wisdom is not the thundering from Sinai that we want. The older we get, I've earned this business. I've earned the right to tell them what to do. I've shown my own success. I've earned this power to boss my people. What if the trajectory is actually that we become smaller? From the thundering voice at Sinai to the crying babe in Bethlehem. It also means dying well. This is my friend Joel Edwards. Joel was born in Jamaica and at eight years old, his family moved to the UK and he lived in London for many years. Joel grew up to become a preacher he became the first black leader of the Evangelical Alliance in the United Kingdom, made history, wrote often about poverty, in fact, led a ministry for a while called Micah Challenge that worked with people in extreme poverty. I met Joel when I was doing my doctorate in theology in the UK at Durham University, and I would go over once or twice a year, and Joel was a few years ahead of me, and he was just always big smile, easy laugh, always kind, showing me the ropes. He was kind of a legend around there. Joel got cancer a couple years ago. Treatment went okay. He started to recover, was in remission. Then earlier this year, the cancer came back with a vengeance. And Joel wrote a little note that would be shared on his Facebook page after he passed. And this is what it said. It said, dear friends, this is to say a final goodbye. First, my incredible thanks for your prayers, love, and holding on with me to that fingernail miracle. He says, words cannot express the depth, breadth, and height of my gratitude, but I have gone home. And then he says, but my earnest prayer is that your faith and tenacity on my behalf will not be considered a pointless religious exercise. Even in death, he wants to make sure that we don't get disillusioned with God but that it will have strengthened your faith in God who is marvelous, mysterious, and majestic in all that he does, the faithful one. Pre-wrote this. Finishing well. Life of wisdom looks like the cross. The third and final thing tonight is that the life of wisdom requires the spirit of grace. You're listening to all of this and you're like, well, that sounds awesome. I just don't think I can do that. You're right, neither can I. The life of wisdom requires the spirit of grace. Once again, we turn to Paul. Ephesians 5, Paul says, So be careful to live your life wisely, not foolishly. Take advantage of every opportunity because these are evil times. Because of this, don't be ignorant. Understand the Lord's will. And then Paul gets down right to it. And don't be drunk with wine, which produces depravity, but instead be filled with the spirit. The life of wisdom requires the spirit of grace. The only way we can finish well 
is by the Spirit of grace. I hope you've picked up by now that as we grow in Christ, we're supposed to become more dependent, not less dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you take a human growth and development class in college, they'll tell you, well, the growth, you're super dependent as a baby, and then you learn to be independent. That's all great. And then interdependent, all good, except in your spiritual life. You're actually supposed to grow more dependent, not less. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, I want you to grow in wisdom, but here's the deal. You're going to need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The worship team would come tonight. We're going to skip the video, guys. I just wanted to get right to this. There's essentially three postures in finishing well. Three postures. The fear of the Lord, upward hands. Looks like the cross, outstretched hands. Requires the spirit, open hands. This is what finishing well looks like. A life that's going like this, yes, God. A life that's going like this that says, Lord, take it all. Give it away. And finally, a life that says, come Holy Spirit. Open hands. Upward hands, outward hands, outstretched hands, and open hands. If you stand with me tonight, some of you I, I, I know, as I was looking around the room in worship tonight, just had this sense that some of you, you didn't have anyone that you looked up to finish well. You, you can think of a father or a mother or a pastor or a coach who didn't finish well. And you're wondering tonight, well, how in the world, if they couldn't, how in the world can I? And I just felt so strongly in my heart as we were worshiping tonight that the Lord wants to say to us tonight, by the grace of God, you will. By the grace of God, you will. Their story is not your story. Their failure is not your destiny. By the grace of God, you will. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, I kind of feel like it's a bit too late for that because I've had that detour, I've had that shipwreck, I've had that tripping up toward the finish line moments. I get it. The Father comes alongside us, carrying us as we limp, walking with us as we stumble. Jesus, the good shepherd that gently says, come on, come on, let's go back this way. This is the way. This is the way. And so tonight, as we begin to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, I wonder if you would maybe pick one of those three postures, the upward hands, the outstretched hands, or the open hands, and you say, God, that's the, here's where I am tonight. I, I just need, come Holy Spirit. Others of you are like, I just need to stop clinging to everything. I need to be opened up. And others of you are like, I need the awe-inspired surrender to the Lord. So come, Jesus. Come as we get ready to come to the table. Come, fill us. Lead us to a dependence on you. In Christ's name. Would you get your communion elements ready to receive? And if you don't have any, just raise your hand. Our team will bring those around to you. Go ahead and take the bread out. Get the cup ready to receive. Going to wait until people get their elements. Right over here in the center, if we have any. 
Thank you, Wendy. As we come to the table of the Lord, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's getting ready to go hang on a cross. Kind of like last hours, the screws are being tightened. His soul is deeply troubled. And what does he do? He feeds us. He climbs the hill. He feeds his people, then he climbs the hill. And essentially what he's saying is, for that cross that you're going to carry, I'm going to feed you. (laughs) I'll get you there. I'll get you across the finish line. I'll give you the strength to do this work. It's not on you. And so tonight, as we open our hands to receive what only Jesus can give us, we're receiving strength for the journey. We're receiving grace to pick up the cross and deny ourselves and to follow him. And we come with this this awe-inspired surrender. So tonight, would you picture Jesus sitting at the table across from you? Can you close your eyes and see his eyes that are tender and gracious and kind? Can you see Jesus tonight? He takes the bread and he breaks it. Go ahead and break that wafer that you're holding. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. And so, Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave it up to us. You give us this meal tonight. This is my body broken for you. You may receive the bread. On that same night, he took the cup of wine and he held it up. He said, this cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. There's a couple things happening here. First, it's given for the remission of your sins. All of your stumbling up the hill, like all of us, we all stumble up the hill. Jesus says you're forgiven. It's, it's good. It's clean. You're, you're forgiven. It's taken care of. But you know what that cup also represents? It represents joy. He took the cup of wine. Here you go. Drink. You're forgiven. You're clean. There's joy for the journey ahead. And so Jesus tonight. We pray that you would give us the grace to walk this out somehow, some way with a smile on our face, with joy in our hearts, with hope and anticipation that only you can give us this kind of joy to live this life. So friends, tonight, the good news of the gospel is your sins are forgiven and there's joy, mysterious and wonderful, miraculous joy for the journey ahead. You may receive the cup. And now let's worship the Lord Jesus together. Lord Jesus, we depend on you. We need you. Our all in all, our cornerstone. Church, let's sing this. My hope is built. My hope is built. On nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Only Jesus. I dare not trust 
the sweetest friend, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Mm. Come on, let's sing that again. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but holy trust in Jesus' name. And now we declare our dependence, Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong, in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Finish well in his name, dressed in his righteousness alone. All because of Jesus, faultless stand before the throne. Mm. All because of you, Jesus. Can we just take a minute, just like Pastor Glenn was talking about? Can we invite the Holy Spirit right now? Even right now, begin to surrender control. Your need to perform, your need for control, your need to prove. Can we just take a moment and surrender? Even if you want to, I invite you just to lift your hands. It's a sign of surrender to Him. Oh, Jesus, we depend on You. We surrender to You. We relinquish control. 
depend on you, Jesus Christ, our living hope, our cornerstone. So come on, church, we say, Christ with courage to pick up our crosses and deny ourselves and follow you. Fill us with joy. Fill us with the life of your spirit, we pray. Holy Spirit, you are the only one and you are the only way that we can live this way. So I pray tonight for my friends. You'd fill them afresh. You'd cause their cups to overflow. You'd cause them to be able to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and lay down their lives for the good of others. I pray, Lord, that you would make us your people. I pray, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, smile big on my friends and grant them and all of their people peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's give God thanks for what he's done here tonight. 
And can we say thank you to Dr. Glenn Packiam tonight for preaching? I want to invite our prayer team to come down. If you have any prayer needs, we would love to agree with you. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. We've got New Life Next tonight over in Student Chapel. So head on that way. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.